Warning, this podcast is rated not safe for work for profanity, sexual innuendo, and general silliness. Hey, Kev, guess what? What's up? I'm already recording. Oh. I know, right? It's saucy. I'm going to blindside you. Yeah, you did. You know what sucks? What's up? I'm so drunk from the first part one. Of course you are. <laughs> Welcome back to the Macabre Academy. Now for you, it's been a week, but for us, a whopping, what, 15 minutes? Something like that. Something like that. And we are still talking about the Morrigan, <laughs> if it wasn't complex enough the first time. Let's fuck it. Hey, Kev. Yes. What did you learn in part one? You either need to drink more or less. I mean, I still have a little whiskey left in my bottle. Yes, you do. I'm not going to say what it is. I need you to tweet at me what my favorite whiskey is, if you remember. It's in the picture for patrons. Yes. What did you do with your 10-minute break? I charged my headphones. (laughs) What do you remember from episode one or part one? I mean, it was only like five minutes ago, so I remember quite a bit. All right, let's give a summary for our listeners, since it's just you and me. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try, just the two of us. You and I. (laughs) I don't have an appropriate sized cigar for this episode. That is a problem. Define appropriately sized. Well, this is going to take me way longer than the episode. But anyway, let's uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty because I don't want this to be another six hour episode like the first one. Well, I'm a rambler. Your poor sister. My poor sister. I'm sorry, Sound Maiden. We love you. We really do. And that first episode is going to be a shit show. So you know, what? I'm a drunken mess, but I'm a I'm a newly separated lady, so it's okay. All right. So first episode recap. We got this badass woman who shape shifts into wolves. Eels, crows, redheads, brunettes, all kinds of feisty shit. We are now deep, delving deep back into Celtic mythology. So let's get uh, let's get this crack a lacking. Do you know what there's going to be a lot of in this episode? Um, I'm going to go with death and destruction. The fucking fairies. It's going to be a lot of fairies. A lot of fairies. <sighs> Did you know that fairy magic is a thing? I know that fairy tale is a thing because it's a great anime. We also did a whole episode on gruesome fairy tales inspired by Sound Maiden's podcast. Yeah, I much prefer the anime because it's fucking cats. Wait, what's the anime about? I haven't seen it. Fairy tale? Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of like... Like fit like fifteen to like eighteen year olds who have a magic guild together. They all have magical powers, and hijinks ensue. And there's talking cats. You're all about that cat life. I am all about that Nico life. Speaking of which, Sydney is still living her best doggo life. She's sleeping on the couch. I think she's awake. I see I those mean, eyes. Barely. Now her eyes are wide open. She's better than my dog Percy, though. She doesn't bark through a whole episode. So well, she good. is living her best life. I do have cat Lucy on the chair. The watching over her. Yes. That's always living his best life. Michelangelo, Leonardo, Donatello, and Raphael. I meant the ones under the pillow. But... Oh, 
my brother tried to name them. He tried to combine two names from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for House Barnum Two-Headed Turtle. And my favorites are Michelangelo and Raphael. So I think we came up with Mike-I-L <laughs> for my house animal. Uh, if We should start a contest for naming House Barnum's turtles, the two-headed yes, turtles. Absolutely. I think I should send the winner a House Barnum t-shirt. Let's do that. So you want to tag us on social media, okay? So we have the Twitter, the Instagram, we have TikTok and Twitter, okay? You should really get rid of TikTok since it's like a Chinese propaganda. But Brandy loves the TikTok. I know she hasn't been here the last two episodes, but she fucking rules TikTok. She's like a TikTok savant. Okay. All right, let's let's get back on track here. All right, so you have a week. You have a week, okay, from Macabre Monday to Macabre Monday to text me ideas for the two-headed turtle. And even if you're not a patron and you text me on social media, tag the Macabre Academy with hashtag House Barnum and you name that fucking turtle and I love it, I'm going to send you a t-shirt with a fucking name. Post a picture of the turtle. Mm Mm-hmm. And the doggo, maybe. Yep. Okay. So I'm officially starting a contest for one week. Anyway. Okay. So we're going to get to the Morrigan because this is part two because I couldn't do it in one long ass episode. And I'm sorry, Patreons. I was going to it, make it Patreon only, but we're a slut for content right now. And we're down to me and Kev. So here we are. It's a main episode. Kev, do you know anything about fairy magic? I do not. Okay, so I know some witches that do participate in modern-day fairy magic. In fact, I'm reading several books about it, inspired by the Morrigan and her connection. But I kind of, like, focused my research around a book written by Christine Weber. Okay? Do you know who Tinkerbell is? Love Tinkerbell. Love Tinkerbell. So we're used to fairies like Tinkerbell or the Bumbling Trio from Sleeping Beauty, because, again, I'm a slut for Disney as well. And they're good-natured, sparkly, and beautiful little fairies. But traditional Irish lore is very different, where humans have a very complex relationship with fairies that's founded in awe, fear, and reverence. Fairies, believe it or not, are very cunning and sometimes cruel. Some are beautiful and some are hideous. There's this great kid's book called Good and Bad Fairies that I bought for me and Evie. Um, I'll link it down below, but it's absolutely gorgeous. In fact, I'm going to write myself a note. Link. Look. Okay. They have equal propensity for either harm or to bless without being bound by the demands of human beings, okay? So you can't, like, fairies hear my call, make this shit happen, okay? They, they have their own agenda, morals, and culture. People are more often trying to break fairy curses or just avoid them altogether, okay? You, just, you don't want a fairy in your life. It's bad news bears. And the relationship is not exactly symbiotic because they're neither friends nor enemies. Kev, do you have a frenemy? A lot of enemies, but not a lot of friends. Mm. Okay, so do you remember Bive Mm -hmm. from the first episode? I do. Do 
you remember any details about her? Just her name is weird because it's spelled B-A-D-B. She's referred to as a bad fairy. While the Morrigan, our lady in question, has been referenced as a great fairy. Okay. Some speculation also slates matcha as a fairy too. And all three are incarnations of the Morrigan. The Morrigan. I'm drunk. Whiskey's a thing, and I love it. All right. Do you remember what tribe the Morrigan is from? The Tuatha de Danon. Yes, Yeah. And they resolve in fairy mounds, rafts, or ring forts all over the Irish countryside. Now, this lore to this day survives Christianity. And fairies are described as not good enough for heaven and not bad enough for hell. I feel like that's me half the time. Probably. You know what? Some Christian symbols are strong enough to hold powers over the fairies. All right. So do you want some theories on what the fairies could actually be? Hit you up. Okay. Some speculate that fairies are demoted gods, descendants of spirit animals, or they are wandering souls of the dead. Always fun. (laughs) Yeah. They can travel through the air, right? Because they got the little wings and live underground or beneath a mortal home. So that makes them clothonic. Okay, what is that? Kaflonic? Okay, so when I did my first episode on Arash Kagao and such, I described Kaflonic deities. And those are of the ground. And they're also of death and of change. Okay? So they're perceived as dark, like the devil tarot card. But in reality, it just means change or growth or evolution. Okay? So Kaflonic is not associated with demonic. But the Christians did it, so whatever. And then you're looking at important sabbats like Samhain. Do you remember what Samhain is? That's Halloween. Yes, sir. And Bellatane. I married my husband on Bellatane. <laughs> that did not go over well, clearly. But I, I did choose a festival of marriage to be married to my husband. But these two holidays take on properties of the dead. And fairies are free to move about this mortal coil. And they play music. They have sexy time. And they feast. Okay. Well, that's not like on most people. I remember like waiting for New Year's Eve for the ball drop so I could kiss my husband, like my boyfriend, and then take them in the back and screw them. So I feel like a lot of holidays are associated with sexy time. Do you get like the birthday BJ? Do you get that? Dead silence. I said no. No. Okay, I didn't hear it. I'm sorry. I I had the whiskey. Okay. Well, I used to make it a thing because I thought like that was the best birthday present I could receive was happy adult fun time. So I associated that with a lot of holidays. That's like bunnies at Easter. Do you know the story of bunnies at Easter? I'm sure I do. But let's stay on track, shall we? Okay. Well, bunnies are a sign of fertility. So it's a spring festival often associated with a happy adult fun time that leads to the production of life, like new, new life. Like bunnies do it a lot, but then you have things like birds with eggs and stuff, and then you tend to have new life. So it's not uncommon to associate like Samhain or Beltane with sexy time. 
But in some rare cases of untimely death, right, they blame fairies who have an ability to murder and kill. I mean, could you imagine Tinkerbell coming after you to murder you? I've probably had that nightmare before. <laughs> they were also blamed for epidemics among cattle. Do you remember about the cattle and the Morion? Very important. Very important. And also, they were blamed for climate disasters and even disease. Fairies were also thought to direct human warfare and control the prosperity of crops. So fairies fuck people over in the potato famine. Like, big time. It was their fault. Always their fault. Well, they were scapegoats for Ireland's Great Famine. And that uh, resulted from a disturbed condition of said fairy world. Not the, uh, the not proper rotation and fertilization of their crops, but because of infighting amongst the fairies. I'm not going to get into changeling lore with the fairies, though, because I'm currently reading The Burning of Bridget Cleary, which is an Angela Burke Bork novel. Um, our favorite Patreon, Tara, had requested this episode a while ago. It was supposed to be Dex's, but now it's mine. I promise you, Tara, you are my favorite child, and I will do that episode. I promise. Okay? We're getting there. We're getting there. All right? So things keep getting thrown at me. I didn't expect to get separated from my husband this year. I didn't expect to move two times. I didn't expect to lose my oldest daughter. I mean, like, 2020 is a shit year. It has nothing to do with the uh, pandemic bullshit. But this episode is COVID-free, so I will move on. When I said I wanted to party like it was the Roaring Twenties, this ain't the shit I meant. No, me either. I love the Twenties. I was thinking like flapper girls and like speakeasies, not being locked in my house and the economy being shit. Right. You know, the Art Nouveau is one of my favorite, favorite art movements of the modern era. Love Art Nouveau. Like I studied art history in college, right? And uh, you find a lot of that absent fairy art, which tends to define 1920s art, which I love, which comes into art deco as you move forward into the 40s, which I also love. Um, you see a lot of geometrical shapes coming out of organic shapes, but that's, that's neither here nor there. I just fucking love Art Nouveau. Moving on. Um, Areas where fairies reside are sacred, like beyond sacred. And they could take revenge on you for just trespassing. Okay. Do you remember which areas were sacred to fairies in the previous episode? I don't think we covered that in the previous episode. Fairy mounds and fairy rings. You You don't want to get caught in that shit after sunset. They also had spaces and like water places that were considered liminal and not belonging to humans. Liminal means a transitional space. That's between worlds, just so you know. Um, Rivers divided territories and belonged to neither tribe. So the land, the bank on the left might be one tribe, the bank on the right might be other, but the river running through them, nobody could claim that shit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play, like, check Kev's memory. But do you remember in the first episode where the Morrigan was straddling both sides of a river? Yeah, what was she doing? Clean out a badge. Correct. 
And the king consummated with her and therefore uni- like bringing union to these two sides, right? Gotta love that. Gotta love it. Um, but to cross that boundary, if you weren't meeting them in the middle, was invasion. And the physical act of it was dangerous. It's natural that it only became associated with the Morrigan and the fairies. The fairies have their own caste system. And the other one I have time to mention is the Morrigan, okay? Because there's like several levels, including the changelings, which we'll get to later. But the Morrigan is part of the uh, sit, the, the she or the Sidhe, if you want to go by phonetic spelling, S-I-D-H-E, which is an, inor- is an immortal race of fairies connecting to the gods and the ancestors. So this is pre-Christian, pre-Celtic Irish people. And they're incredibly beautiful. And they can take on male, female, or genderless forms. So my pansexualness is all about the fae life. Like, I love that genderless kind of, I blend both kind of form. So I'm, I'm into that. But the Morrigan sisters are also linked to this caste. And their names have been periodically used interchangeably with fairies. They sure as act fucked like it when they steal cattle, shapeshift, manifest in air or water, run in and out of fairy mounds, and curse mortals. In fact, they use fairy tactics and warfares, which is ruining like milk, crops, death cries, and proclaiming victory in battles. So, so like fairies could interfere with human wars and have their own internal fighting. I don't know if there's a normal socio-political fight that you can equate to like the fairies getting in the middle of, but according to ancient Celtic lore, if it were to happen in Ireland, they would get in the middle of that shit. Kev, you're more versed on socio-political current events than me, correct? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't even know that that um, Harry Potter lady was... A, oh, yeah. Fuck that girl. She was a dirty bigot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you remember all those death omens about the Morrigan in the first episode? I'm going to play this game the entire episode. Yeah, I should have been paying attention. Right? I'm testing you. I was actually, not prepared for this. Actually, I was sitting there and I went over to my friend um, who is a drag queen. I went and stayed over at their house for an evening and played video games and had dinner with him and his boyfriend. And his boyfriend is my best friend in the entire world. Hello, Nate. I love you. Yes. Gay is, uh, he is, he is me. If I were a gay man, a beautiful gay man, he's just, Oh God, I wish he wasn't gay. Cause he's so pretty. But, um, I was telling him about the, uh, about how Hecate rivaled Jesus Christ. And he just sat there for a minute and was like, your ability to memory recall weird information is fantastic. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> anyway, so Jim, the ring forts and mounds are gateways into the underworld. Ancestors reside there, and humans lost in fairy worlds also often succumb, succumb to death. Okay, so you don't want to get lost in a fairy world because you could die. And, could. Yeah, but what's crazy is like your grandma or your ancestors reside there. Okay. Fairies are often said to contain the souls of the dead and will come out and dance with them at Halloween. 
the concept of fairer worlds parallel to illness, grief, death with a beautiful immortal one. Witches, I am in love with this family-run business, Mystical Existence. The bath products that turn your ordinary self-care ritual into a celestial experience. As a witch, my bathing habits are sacred. So I was overjoyed to find products that not only smell amazing, but don't irritate my sensitive skin. My favorite scent is Scorpio which was designed with Maggie's daughter and the perfume her mother used to wear at heart. All soaps, lotions, and bath bombs are handmade with supplies that are purchased from ethical and responsible manufacturers. A portion of the products are vegan for all you animal lovers out there. As the wheel of the year turns, new products are designed to match the seasons. Currently only available In the United States, you can find Mystical Existence on Facebook, Instagram, or at their website, mysticalexistence.com. For 15% off, use our promo code MACABRE. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E. All right, so we're going to start talking about stories associated with the Morrigan and the fairies. First one is called The Debility of Ulsterman, which is a more in-depth look at Macha's foot race that I mentioned in the first episode. Okay. So I'm going to give you the whole story this time. All right. Let's hit me with it. Okay. So there's a widower cow lord named Krunuik, C-R-U-N-N-I-U-C. He's older, but he's wealthy. So he's like a, a sugar daddy. And one of these days, he's just hanging out in his house. And this incredibly beautiful woman just walks the fuck in unannounced. And she sits down at his hearth or his fire and stirs it, makes dinner, instructs the servants, and then milks the cows. Later that night, she fucks Krunik and becomes his wife for many happy years. And they wanted for nothing. There you go. I know. I mean, it's just this timeless tale of sex and love. <laughs> Inevitably, though, she becomes pregnant with twins, no less, like me. And close to her due date, this spectacular affair comes to town. And her husband is, like, super jazzed to go. But that mysterious woman warns him, air quote, Be careful. If you speak of me at this fair, our marriage will not continue. And of course, he promises, but he hightails it to this fair like a giddy schoolboy, okay? And it's this amazing party. There's beautiful costumes, and people from all over have come. And the big event was the horse race, where the king's horses win by a fucking landslide, because they're the king's horses. Like, they can't fucking lose. Of course not. And people are cheering, saying there's no swifter horses in the land. None such exist. And this dude's like, oh yeah? 
hold on to your butts because my wife is definitely faster. I just think it's such a strange boast. Like out of all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like out of all of your wife's qualities that are desirable, would you be like, she could outrun your horses, you little bitch. Like, is that, is that your go-to compliment for your wife? Apparently. Apparently. This king is like bullshit. We're going to throw his ass in jail until his wife comes to race and substantiate his bizarre claims. So they send a messenger, but she explains to the messenger, can't nope there. Okay, I'm too close to popping out this baby to try to race. And this messenger, he's like, tough shit. You race or your husband's going to be food for the fishes, see? Like, it's very mobster in my mind. (laughs) And this wife is like, fuck. I guess I'm racing some motherfucking horses. and And proceeds with the messenger to this fair. So they go. And then she's standing there in her highly pregnant state. And she's like, please give me mercy. This is bullshit. I'm super pregnant. And the baby could come at any minute. She's pleading with the crowds to let her give birth before she fucking races the king's horses. And do you know what the fuck happens? What happens? No sympathy from the crowd or the king. And she's still forced to race. Did I ever tell you about when I got pregnant with Evie and I was working in the bakery? Mm-mm. I was working for a local grocery store chain, let's say. And I was in the bakery and I was pregnant as fuck. And the other cake decorators were mad at me because it took me longer to decorate because it was very painful for me to stand because I had lower round ligament pain because of where Evie was sitting in my uterus. So the sheer weight of her being very forward in my womb was very painful. So my doctor wrote a note that I could cake decorate sitting down if my job would accommodate me. And a very pregnant, like seventh month, six month pregnant Steph turns in this note to the bakery. And do you know what the other cake decorators do? What's that? Complain. That I got to sit down cake decorating and they didn't. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm very visibly pregnant. I'm in so much pain. Let me sit down. I can decorate the cake and then I can pick up the cake and put it in a box and put it on the shelf, sit down, decorate the next cake. Like I just, it was absolute insanity to me that they thought that, that it wasn't fair. I'm like, I'm pregnant and I shouldn't be lifting. And I was lifting 50 pounds blocks of frosting base and dumping it into mixers and hundred pound bowls because nobody would help me lift shit while I was pregnant. I feel like I I can identify with the Morrigan having to race pregnant as shit because the bakery made me work pregnant as shit. The only person who had sympathy was my assistant manager because he's like, you have a condition. I'm like, yeah, clearly. Okay. So she petitions for mercy and the baby can come at any minute and she pleads with the crowd to let her give birth. No sympathy. So she curses them and she says, I am Macha, daughter of the strange son of the ocean. My name will forever remain on this place where we stand today. Now bring me the damn horses so we can get this shit show over with. Big shocker. Okay. She outruns the horses. 
And though she's victorious, she collapses on the finish line in absolute agony. And this is where she births her twins. Before, even before she pushes out two babies, before those other motherfucking horses even cross the finish line. That's what a badass witch she is. Very badass. Badass. Have you ever seen a childbirth? No. You know what? One of my friends, one of my dear friends said that it took him 18 hours to push out a baby. Now, Evie was out in 10 minutes flat. So I have pushed a baby out in 10 minutes. But for some people, it takes 17 hours of pushing to get a baby out. Like, that's insane. I don't know how long she was pushing and delivered these twins before these horse crossed. Like, I don't know how far ahead she was. But technically, she only needed like a 10 to 14 minute lead to pop out babies, apparently. Now, what sucks is, and this gets me, I'm assuming she bleeds out. All right, because she's dying and she cries out, quote, because of the cruelty you have shown me this day, I curse you. When troubles befall you, you'll be raided by your enemies. You experience the weakness I know today and you shall experience it for five days and four nights, allowing your enemies to crush you in the way that you have crushed me. And this affliction begins today. And it will last for nine generations. It's a long time. Yeah. I mean, she was super serious. So there you go. It's called the Iman Matcha or the Twins of Matcha. And this curse facilitates the cattle rate of coolie, all right, which I described in the previous episode. Now, there's several reasons why Matcha is considered a fairy in this story. Okay. She's generous and formidable because she becomes the wife to this lonely man, making his empty home bountiful with riches and with children. And she acts like she asks for shit in return, right? Just discretion. And she's very benevolent until that contract was terminated, right? So this guy, Cruinus, like done fucked up and put her in like the worst fucking position. You done fucked up A.A. Rod. Yeah. And it was her livelihood versus her husband's safety. And she dies in the act of giving life. I think that this is a tale about humility. And it warms against greed and pride and not taking relationships for granted. I don't know. What do you think about the story? Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. We don't fucking brag about encounters with fairies, okay? You just don't fucking do it. Definitely not. No. The Morgan punishes with the fury of the fairies and takes it one step further and curses nine generations afterwards. I feel like that might be a little extreme. Yeah. What I think is interesting is that I feel like this teaches against mob mentality, okay? Because no one did anything to help her when she was pleading in the crowd to let her give birth before she raced these horses. Nobody was sympathetic to her condition. That's a little shitty. Do you know what it reminds me of? What does it remind you of? Boondock Saints. Oh, yes. I was thinking that, actually. (laughs) I read the quote in one of the other episodes. But the author says that matcha may be a reminder that we all don't show compassion for others. And we endanger the world we live for our descendants when we don't. 
So the second story I want to look at is the cattle raid of the important calf, which explains the Morrigan's role of sovereignty. Okay. So here we see Ku, which is cool Kufulain or whatever, is just hanging out with his BFF leg. Okay. And they're both chilling with the cattle until they hear one of them cry in distress. And for some reason, they're in their house butt-ass naked. I don't know if that's a, you know, affair going on or whatever, but they're naked. I don't know what the fuck they were doing. And they run naked to the scene of the crying cow, cow to see what the hell's a matter. And Leg has his wife falling closely behind to offer him clothes once they get there. Can you make an inference as to what was going on? I mean, they could have just been chilling. Naked? Maybe they don't like to wear clothes at the house. Are you, are you proposing that they're a trio of nudists? Possibly. You okay. don't know their life. I don't. That's why I was asking. So at the source of all this commotion, they see an air quote, chariot pulled by a single red horse with one leg. Sitting in the chariot was a red-haired woman with red eyebrows, wearing a red cloak that draped down the back of the chariot, dragging on the ground behind her. And she also had a male companion who was driving a cow with a stick. I mean, how else would you drive a cow? Exactly. So it's like a steering wheel. Yeah. So quick sidebar, the Celts associated the color red with death. So her showing up completely decked out in it shows that she's an omen of death with, like, no question. And this reminds me of Phantom of the Opera. Have you ever seen that? No. Lon Chaney Jr. or the musical adaptation? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, in the musical adaptation, the Phantom shows up as the Red Death where he's wearing completely red and a skull mask. It's like, it's hot as fuck. I want to do it as a cosplay for Halloween so bad. But this could also be like Bive, the incarnation of Morgan that is often described as red mouth, which is he's a physical red or bloodied, but it kind of invokes sexy vampire vibes, despite the grim nature. Okay, so like red mouth can mean speaking a death omen or the power of speaking the truth. So Ku, Ku cuts them off and asks what the fuck they're doing with that cow because that cow is crying out in displeasure. Okay, she doesn't seem happy. And the woman, all right, she says, mind your business. It's not your place to judge this cow. It doesn't belong to you, your friend, or any other companion of yours. All right, and Ku is like a proud-ass motherfucker. All the cows in Ulster are my responsibility, he says. The red woman goes, you decide much. Now, Ku goes, who is this bitch and why isn't the man doing any of the talking? What the fuck's his name? All right, and he's saying this to his buddy, Leg. Now, the Morrigan answers him because she overhears him and she says, cold winter conflict, brightness strife is his name. And Ku's like, fuck his name. Whatever he is, he's a pussy because he needs a woman to speak for him. So the man in the chariot finally decides to pipe up and interject. And he says, 
The woman you're speaking to is keen-edged, small-lipped, plain-cloaked, hair-sharp, shouting, fierceness phantom. Okay. What does that sound like to you? I got no idea, Steph. Nonsense. It sounds like utter nonsense. Small-lipped, plain-cloaked, hair-sharp, shouted, fierceness phantom. Like, it's a bunch of bullshit, basically. And Koo is now pissed. So he's like, I don't need your shenanigans. And he hops onto the chariot and threatens the red woman with a spear saying, don't you know who the fuck I am? Okay. So the woman says, a small man with a small dick. This cow is payment for the poem I delivered. Oh, yeah? Let's hear the poem then, Cougar buffs. He doesn't even touch the small penis comment. And she goes, not with a fucking spear in my face. You better back your shit up. So he steps down, and the woman finally recites this poem, which is basically prophesizing his demise. So you got spells and curses, often in the form of poems, okay, are really articulate of her magical power. So he realizes this shit, and in anger, he rushes the chariot, chariot, not only to have it disappear into thin air, okay? So runs into the chariot, boom, gone. It's like smoke. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the red woman, all right, she shapeshift into a blackbird just chilling on a branch nearby. And that's when Ku recognizes the Morgon and calls her a smart mouth bitch. Right? You're a smart mouth bitch, you motherfucker. And Morgon, she's a badass. She's standing on her ground and she's not giving into the will of men. And what I love about this story is it's like an example of standing up for yourself and finding your own power and sovereignty in times of need. Okay. And the worst part is, is she's sitting here divulging that this cow was to mate with the great band, great brown bull at the fairy mound. And this dick, he's a, and there, wait. Okay. So there's a great brown bull that is going to mate at the fairy mound. And he's like, you're going to undo this shit. So this calf is going to be an undoing of you someday once this great bull mates with the cow. Okay. So it comes apparent that this is not the first time Ku has locked horns with the goddess, nor is it going to be the last, because then we wouldn't have a podcast. But this disrespect and toxic masculinity, he's showing he's going to fuck up a lot of people, basically. So we got one myth left. You ready to go? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. The last myth I want to look at that I have time for involves Macha and the three kings of Ireland. Now, these three kings share a rule over Ireland, ruling in terms of seven years. The first king in this cycle of three kings dies, leaving the red-haired Macha as his only heir. So when it's her turn in the seven-year cycle to rule, the two other kings are popes of nope, and they refuse to grant that kind of power to a woman. And her being a female, her sex made her not formally in line to the throne, so she had no right. Of course not. Of course not. So a battle ensues, and she wins her queenship, but it's a fragile hold over her position. During her seven years of ruling, the second king dies, leaving five sons behind, who demanded their turn to rule. And Mach is like, fuck that shit, no. 
because I run my white to rule and battle and not from the agreement between these three kings. So then Macha goes to battle with these five sons, all right? And she has a grand old time collecting their heads and marries the third king, right? Because the second king dies, leaves five heirs. She chops off all their heads, marries the third king. And this is clearly a marriage of convenience. So Macha sets her sights on wiping out the sun so there'll be no more challenges to her right to rule. Okay? Yep. She's smart as fuck. Definitely. Oh, yeah. She transforms herself into a leper by rubbing rye dough dyed red all over her skin. And then she seeks out the five sons at their camp prior to battle. She finds them in the dark by a fire roasting a pig. All right. And when they notice her, they say, hey, you look hungry. Share our pig. We will share your body with those come fuck me eyes that you have. I think that really shows the strength of her as a fertility goddess to be found attractive despite her best efforts to make her so unappealing. I mean, leprosy is dangerous as shit, and I still took one look at her and like, yeah, I'd tap that. Yeah, you're not wrong. Okay, I was waiting for a male perspective on it. So the first son takes, takes her into the woods, but instead of engaging in the sexy time, Macha ties him up and returns to camp. And they're like, hey, where, where'd our brother go? And she goes, hey, hold on. No, hey, your brother was ashamed that he fucked me because I'm a leper. So he didn't come back with me. And the four remaining sons say, hey, no biggie. We're just going to take turns fucking you. So in turn, she takes each one back and just ties them up until she has dragged all five brothers back to Ulster and urged the people to execute them for trying to rape her. Okay. Now, it's smart because she used her own arrogance against them and used the people's outrage to solidify her claim to her throne. And she had personally tested their righteousness and found them wanting. So not only is she a goddess of sovereignty, but she's kind of like a goddess of women's rights at this point. I like this bitch. Oh, yeah. I mean... All they had to do is be like, hey, you're a leper, have the food. Instead, they're like, hey, you have some orifices, let me stick a penis in it. I find it very disappointing because I feel like a man should be a little bit discerning on who he decides to engage in happy adult fun time with. <laughs> Just a little bit. You know, and sure. leprosy is not the best option. It'd be like knowingly having sex with somebody who had sy- syphilis. Like, uh... Danger out or outweighs the uh, gratification from a Sometimes. moment. <laughs> so it's common to call her for help with oppression and displacement. Okay. But her fairy nature makes her not interested in the problems of mortals. But through some tough love, she can help us find our own sovereignty. All right. She's like, deal with your own shit. Stand up for yourself. Because that's what I did. And she comes not only for external battles, but internal ones as well. So holding yourself up, walking through the pain, and making friends with the past so you can be your own fucking advocate. We see her standing up for herself. What is right? Speaking on truth even when it, it comes to getting what she wants. 
I mean, the pre-Celtic world housed a matriarchal society where universal goddess, where universal goddess was like revered, and women held power equal or greater to men. And then Christianity came in and erased all of that from modern patriarchy. Of course, it did. yeah. In the Iron Age, women were judges, lawyers, magicians, priestesses, and queens, not just mothers and homemakers and whores. Okay. But this erased as time moved forward and then became legally incompetent on the same level as slaves, children, and the insane. Property yeah, was- sounds about right. Well, yeah, but because they were women, right, in a matriarchal society, when the patriarchy rised, property was ripped from them and bequeathed to the males. And yep. polygamy became common amongst wealthier men. And these girls became barely, barely better than concubines. Did you know that men could file for divorce for like the stupidest reasons? Ready? Infertility and laziness. While women had no rights to leave their abusive fucking husbands. Well, of course not. Yeah. In, in summary, okay, for the end of this, there are legends of the mark. There, there are reasons why these legends have persisted so strongly. You know, she's a woman that's challenging authority of men, demonstrates her own power, and she's a role model for any of this that have been marginalized, neglected, or abused because we were a weaker sex, I think. I mean, I wrote a whole blog about this. I wrote a whole blog, the whole thing. I'm like done. I'm so drunk, I'm done. I wanted to get the washer of the Ford in here, but that's in the block. That's where the Morgan helped me find my own sovereignty in a situation where it wasn't great. So I will leave a link to that blog below. Put that link. Get with us. Tell us what you think. Yes. Slide into those DMs. Hey, Kev. Yeah. It's the end of the episode. Do you know what that means? means? Non-offensive dare. Ooh, non-offensive dare. I like that. Yeah, Sal Moden will put in the details as to how you participate in the non-offensive dares right about here. Okay, my darling witches, it's time for your weekly non-offensive dare. You must be a Patreon to participate so you can earn points for your house. Each month, the house with the most points gets to vote on weekly non-offensive dares, topics of future episodes, and so much more. Each week, once you've gotten your dare, you must safely and creatively complete a post on social media so that we can see that you've done the task. You can tag us at Twitter at Macabre Academy. Or you can tag us on Instagram at The Macabre Academy, and you must include a hashtag with your house name to obtain the points. The world is a fucked up place. These dares are designed to bring silliness and random acts of kindness into the world. You must safely complete your dare. If you are unsafe, your points will not be counted. You can also earn additional points for your house by being the first to submit episode corrections to us at themacabacademy at gmail.com. Also, if we use your ideas or stories in a future episode, more points may be awarded. Let's return to the podcast to see what your weekly non-offensive dare will be.
And so I need Kevin to pick a number. Let me give you a range because we're seriously lacking between 60 and 90. 60 and 90. Mm-hmm. Let's go with 75. 75. We did that episode. No, we didn't. No, that was from the episode of Homes that we had to reshoot. So we're going to redo it. Okay. Episode Morgan Part 2. Okay, ready? I want to see what this one is. Uh, maybe you'll get on TikTok for this one. This might inspire you. Okay, Kev? I want everybody to know that I have no idea what these are. Like, I don't have a copy of the not. Only Steph has the book of not events there. So only Steffi. I'm just, I'm going, I'm as blind as you guys are going into this, so. Do you know the story of the non-offensive dares? I do not. Even though I have told it in previous episodes, I will tell it again in case you're a new listener. We love our new listeners. We love our old listeners. We love all the listeners because we're lucky oh. to have any. Except for, that, except for that one listener. Fuck you. You know who you are. I blocked him. It, he can't hear you. Okay. The reason that there's a hundred dares is because everything I start, I get discouraged doing. So like my YouTube channel got like 20 episodes in and then I gave up because I thought nobody gave a shit. If I start a business, I'd sell like two things and then give up. Okay. So when my sister approached me about this podcast, I said, nope, can't nope, nope, nope. Because when I do something, I do it with my full heart. And I get very discouraged if I don't see results very quickly. So when I finally agreed to do this podcast at my sister's encouragement and persistence, I said, okay, I'm going to give you 100 episodes. And then we'll decide if we're going to keep doing the Macop Academy. So Sound Maiden now has 101 episodes based on 101 dares off this list. So until I have every dare checked off, I have to keep making episodes. Love it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know you who, guys are stuck with it. Yeah. I didn't know who was going to be along for the journey because at first I didn't think anybody was going to be on the journey. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to try to con my husband into this because we have some great conversation over the content. But my husband hates any sort of recognition of his own intelligence because he's so anti-ego that's that's a conversation for another day so dex signed on and then when dex signed on her boss brandy signed on and she goes i just want to listen and talk about this shit i don't want to do any episodes i just want to hang in for the ride because i love podcasts next thing i know brandy's researching episodes and they're fucking fantastic and then uh, Dex stops being on the episodes and then you start being on the episodes. So I don't know where we're going to be when we hit 101 episodes, but we're on dare 95 and this is episode 20. So we're one fifth of the way through, I think of my promise to my sister. All right. What's the dare stuff? Hit me with it. Okay. Reenact a scene from your favorite movie or TV show. Ooh, this would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can do one for Twitter? Probably not. I'm going to make you. I'm busy. I got shit. No, you're house bear toss, man. You got to start doing the dares because I started doing the dares. I smushed my entire face into a cake. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll see how this works out. Okay. 
I think you should get on TikTok and try it because you could mouth the words from one of your. What's your favorite movie, Kev? Clerks. <laughs> oh my god, that explains so much. <laughs> I've actually talked my boss into letting me put up a sign that says, "If you intend to shoplift, let us know." <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. All right, you can also tweet at us what your favorite movies are. Maybe I can find inspiration for an episode. We'll see, because I'm a research whore. All right. Okay, Kev, what are you going to do? Thanks for joining us. On, I would say thanks for joining us on this wild ride. It is a wild ride. What are you going to do with your week until next Macabre Monday? I have no idea. We'll see where that Probably get up, play video games, feed my cats, go back to sleep. Are we going to meet on our islands on Twitch? Because we're going to start doing Twitch. Well, if you promise not to raid my island of all fruits, of all of the things, because I raped her trees of fruits, I definitely did that. And raped race- all my weeds. <laughs> Kevin doesn't like to weed on Animal Crossing, and I'm like, oh my god, that's like ninety five like percent to be natural. No, that's like ninety for ninety five percent of your job is to landscape the island. I don't want to. I like my island the way it is. It's uh, it's up for debate. Listen, who made 786,000 bells this week? Oh, that's right, me. You're not wrong. You're the, you're the turnip market master. <laughs> I, I have the stock market cornered. Okay. I want to see you lose big in the turnip market. We're going to have to check in next week to see how Kev's turnips. Not possible. I found a Discord where people post their turnip prices. You can go to their islands and sell their shit. You know, somebody could lie and say that their turnip prices are not accurate. And then you leave. And then you find another island. Speaking of leaving, have a great week. Have a great week, everybody. Love you guys. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Nerdy Witch in partnership with Sound Maiden. We want to thank all of our wonderful Patreons. For updates, please follow the Macabre Academy on Facebook. Remember to like, share, and listen exclusively on Buzzsprout. Soon, we'll be available wherever you listen to podcasts.